Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Uh, we have our full panel with us, which which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thank you, Matt. Good to be here. And as always, Robert Craig, executive director here at Citizen Action, is with us. Robert. Good day, everyone, and greetings from Pittsburgh. Well, we're really happy to have you, Robert, from Pittsburgh. Uh, we have an incredibly packed show. Um, it is... <laughs> it's hard to say this, but it is an unbelievable week in what has been an unbelievable year. We are going to start by talking about the Breonna Taylor verdict uh, yesterday. We record Thursday morning. We also are going to talk to a couple of uh, state legislative candidates. Devin Draca and Sarah Rodriguez will join us later in the show. And we have Mark Thompson uh, will be joining us. He is the president of Citizen Action and also an attorney with Gingrass, Thompson and Walks to talk about new legislation that would provide blanket protection and liability for businesses uh, with COVID-19 cases. We'll talk more about that, but we are going to start the show by talking about the verdict in Louisville yesterday, uh, a verdict that basically uh, there was nothing, no charges for any anything other than shooting up a, a another room and nothing for Brianna Taylor's death. Claire, I wanted to go to you first for, for your thoughts and comments on, on this verdict. I think what this verdict has showed us, which, you know, we already knew, and especially um, communities of color that have been living under this system for so long have, have surely known, for longer than a lot of a lot of us white folks, um, is that the the justice, so-called justice system, um, that the police and, and court system, and that the that the legal system, the criminal law system, is is set up to protect some folks and not protect other folks. Um, the reason why two of the officers in uh, the murder of Brianna Taylor are not being charged is because the um, the, the prosecutor, the special prosecutor down there in the grand jury decided that they're firing um, relatively indiscriminately into Brianna Taylor's apartment was, quote unquote, justified um, because of the alleged firing back of Brianna Taylor's boyfriend at them when they illegally, wrongfully entered her apartment. And um, so we see that the law is set up to protect these police officers and not necessarily to protect the regular um, citizens and residents of that city, um, folks like Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend. Um, so it, it once again shows us that it's not just um, that the police system is fundamentally broken in a real way, but also that there is a fundamental flaw in the way our criminal laws are set up. And that shows that this is a systemic throughout multiple systems problem um, and not just a problem with policing in this country. And, and we need to reform this entire system because it should, it should protect all of the people in the community, um, not be so lopsided. Robert, your thoughts. Look, once we get over the initial outrage and we should mourn this and think very clearly about the family and the whole community, not just the community in Louisville, 
but the whole country, because this uh, caused another round of protests everywhere, including in Milwaukee and in many other places. And, uh, but what Claire said is fundamental here. It is multiple systems. You know, we, we now see uh, very uh, cautious politicians using the word systemic racism. I don't know that they are structural racism. I don't know that they're conceiving of what that means and what it requires of them in order to take it on. It is multiple interacting systems of power which defend themselves and are entrenched. And it's a bunch of worldview ideology stuff about who is valuable and who isn't, hence the term Black Lives Matter. And it takes a huge amount of political effort and risk to do this. And we know where the Republicans are. They're willing to run for election on the most base emotion, stuff that we haven't seen in this country since the 60s in many ways, coming from the right, like from the Goldwater movement, in terms of the national conversation. It's been there all along, don't get me wrong. And we saw it a bit with Nixon, but Nixon was more coded about it with his Southern strategy. They're, they're doubling down on racism. But far too many Democrats are listening to consultants and being very careful and giving bland talking points and putting out uh, policing reforms, which are a good start, but are not really systemic. Most of them aren't. Few of them could lead that direction and not understanding that when you offer that as the reforms, that's the end of reform and the system is perpetuated. So this will continue happening as the young people on the streets are saying, and the people who are in the trenches of this movement generally and have been for years, a lot of people have been pushing this movement for years and not listened to, uh, that this is, this is fundamental and the whole thing needs to be completely reimagined and replaced with something else, a whole new definition of public safety. We need public safety. This just isn't it. And people aren't realizing that the threat to safety is not peaceful protests, not the fact that some people take advantage and, and may uh, commit property damage, damage. Most of the deaths have come from right-wing folks calling themselves militia. Let's be clear, most of the violence, the organized violence is because of the right, very little from the left that's being lied about by Trump and conservatives. Uh, but what caused the unsafe situation, the property damage that people are valuing over human life, is the action of these police officers near the instrument of a white supremacist system. And in, unless we take that on and take it apart root and branch and replace it with something else that works for everyone and makes everyone equal human being in our society, then we are not living up to our values. Okay, Claire, we're gonna give you the, the last thought on this topic before we go to break. I think the last thing I want to say is, um, you know, we're hearing a lot about the fact that one of the police officers was indicted for an action, but that it was not for the shooting of Breonna Taylor. Um, and I, I do want to say what he did, because it is a, a horrific in, um, action of police misconduct. And what he did is that this police officer left the apartment of Brianna Taylor and her boyfriend, went into, I believe it was the parking lot, and fired indiscriminately into the apartment building through the glass windows with the panes and the blinds shut, which means he didn't have a line of sight. He, he just fired indiscriminately through closed blinds and closed windows into this apartment building. I mean, it is a 
horrific form of police misjustice, just opening up as if you were, you know, in, in sort of like a Scarface movie or something into, into a civilian's um, a building. So he, that was somebody who absolutely deserves to be indicted. That's not to say that the other two officers don't also um, you know, deserve to be punished for their actions and the role of Brianna Taylor's death. Um, but, but we are, no, folks aren't really talking about what this, what this third police officer did. And um, it is absolutely something that, um, that deserves punishment. So um, I am glad that that officer um, is going to be punished for his actions. And with that, Claire, we really appreciate, Robert, your, your thoughts on this topic. We're going to continue to talk about this. It's a critical issue. And, of course, there will be uh, – there's going to be more protests this week. Um, and there's, there's going to be more information coming out about Kenosha. We hope to talk more about that um, next week. But we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to be joined by Mark Thompson, president of Citizen Action, talk about very – dangerous and concerning uh, legislation that is moving both federally and here in the state. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are joined by Mark Thompson. Mark Thompson is the president here at Citizen Action, but he's also an attorney uh, with Gingrass Thompson and Walks, and he is joining us to talk about some legislation that is moving both at the federal level, but also here in the state that would give protection and, uh, you know, immunity, blanket immunity to a lot of businesses around COVID-19. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a really, really important topic, especially with the reality of a lot of folks and a lot of workers and families, uh, you know, going back to work, in many cases being forced to go back to work in uh, business environments that are of varying degrees of safety. So, Mark, tell our listeners what uh, you are very concerned about and you would like uh, them to know about. There is a current bill being proposed by several Republican legislators. The title is Liability for COVID-19 On-Premises. And its asserted reason for it is to save business from this avalanche of lawsuits where businesses are being sued for having uh, unsafe practices. And this is just another cover piece of legislation on behalf of big business to avoid protecting worker safety and following science and protecting the public at large and will only serve to prolong the injuries caused by COVID-19 rather than remediate it. The, you know, initially they had a bill right when COVID hit, but it had a time limit and it was much, much narrower in scope. This bill now would provide immunity for businesses if someone, you know, ends up with COVID-19 uh, you know, unless you could prove that the business was did it intentionally and recklessly. Uh, and we all know that that's just too high of a standard. I mean, the biggest lie about this is there is no avalanche of lawsuits. You know, you can go search around the country and it, it's not that businesses are being sued or shut down. The problem is COVID-19 keeps rearing its ugly head and businesses that opened up too soon or unsafe have to shut down again. And 
it is because we are not following science that we're in this predicament. And instead of looking at this scientifically, we are now at this point where big business has asked for the Republicans to do their bidding. You know, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce is a big, big player in this. And they are asking the Republican Senate and Assembly to just adopt this immunity, which will just let them put workers at risk. You know, they're forced to come back. Now it's even going to be unsafer. And uh, there is one little unique sort of twist in it. They've thrown in sort of immunity for school districts. At, and that's sort of like their public guys because everybody is really struggling at home, those with kids. Like, how are we going to educate our kids? When the reality is schools are virtually immune already for any kinds of lawsuits. Uh, there's a statute that provides immunity, pr limits the damages, and uh, it's just a cover. So what I need people to do is to call the governor and say, veto this bill if it shows up. If, you're, if you know uh, Senators Kapenga, Bourne, or Canodal, email them, write them, and tell them to stop this nonsense. So, Robert, first question. This has been a right-wing agenda item forever. They've been attacking people's civil justice rights, uh, which, is, which goes back before our Constitution. This is fundamental to our whole concept of law and freedom. And they've already destroyed regulation. We know that the, that the OSHA is not enforcing its requirements. The CDC is not put, making clear standards. The states, including Wisconsin, have not stepped up to fill the breach. Neither have local public health departments. So the last place someone might go with a very negligent business that has infected employees or customers by willful negligence or the other common law torts that are available, I don't wanna, uh, I, I don't want to mistake those to you, Mark, as, a, as an expert, this is your profession, uh, is to take people's final recourse away from them if they are injured by the negligence of someone else. I don't want to get your comment on that. Yeah, you know, historically, immunity has always done that, right? It's, one provides immunity to allow people from acting responsibly and protecting safety. I mean, think about it right now, how this implicates nursing homes and where the elderly and the most vulnerable are. This is this broad immunity for any death. What does that say to an industry that is already known for cutting corners, putting the elderly at risk? To now say to all those businesses, you don't have to worry about folks dying if you're sloppy, uh, you know, you can be negligent, right? It, it's just preposterous. And in that broad sense, yes, this is about whose freedom are we really concerned about? Are we concerned about the freedom of the workers, people on the front line at risk to be safe and to have care? Or are we talking about the freedom of an elite corporate and these entities to do whatever they want, whenever they want, 
and let the workers take the brunt, let the consumers take the brunt, face all the risks. And we know right now, I mean, corporate America is making money hands over heels, and it's just uh, it's unconscionable. But right now, we need people. I know there are so many things going on. You know, we're talking about the demonstrations, Black Lives Matter, and everything on the street. And so you have this in the middle of all this. They're trying to sneak this through Madison. So please, you know, email, put an end to the 2019 bill that is entitled Liability for COVID-19 On-Premises. Thanks, Mark. I I think you answered one of my questions, which was going to be, um, how can we how can we support um, this effort and uh, helping the public understand that this bill exists, what it does, and to to be active in um, trying to to defeat it or reform it? Um, I I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think the other point I'll make, and this, this isn't really a question, but I think it's on my mind because of our last conversation about uh, the Breonna Taylor case that came down yesterday, um, that that this seems like another example of um, a, a legal system being set up or a law being set up to protect uh, maybe an institution instead of people who could be potentially harmed and sort of hedging against the fact that that regular folks might be harmed and therefore the institution with power um, needs to be protected, not necessarily the, the folks that were harmed. Um, so I, that, that's sort of what I've been thinking about as I'm hearing you talk. I don't know if you have a reaction to that or if you feel similarly. Yeah, no, I think you're directly on point. This bill rigs the system in favor of corporate power to ignore worker safety and consumer safety. And we know that if we don't protect the the frontline workers, whether it's in a restaurant, on the factory floor, in a meatpacking plant, you know, we've had deaths in meatpacking plants, or the workers in nursing homes that are there to protect the most vulnerable, we're going to have people die and COVID-19 will spread all under the guise of this, you know, immunity so that so the big business doesn't have to pay. Even in, in the reality where there are no lawsuits or not a wave of lawsuits or what they call predatory lawsuits in place. So this again is just rigging the system and they are effectively, and I, I say this effectively, there are a lot of, and a lot of people, particularly a lot of white people like me that are out there buying the Kool-Aid you know, that one, either COVID's not serious, and then, you know, then there's family members and somebody's dead, and then they realize it's serious. And not acting responsibly. If we would just, you know, get back to a point where we follow science and we protect the, the workers and the consumers, we'd be on the other side of COVID-19 faster and safer. 
instead of allowing folks to rig the system. No, unfortunately, we do have to take a break. We this is a radio show. We gotta we gotta go to, we gotta go to commercials. Mark, we really appreciate you taking the time to educate our listeners about this really really awful uh, legislation that'll be coming down. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you very very much, y'all. Y'all take care. All of that information will be up on our website. Thank you so much, Mark. We appreciate it. And with that. We got to go to break. We'll see you right back here on the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are going to switch gears here a little bit and continue the conversations we have been having on the show with candidates running for state assembly in particular. We have talked a lot about how we think there are huge opportunities in the state assembly in spite of the Republicans effort to gerrymander a number of candidates are going to beat that gerrymander this year and we think we got one of them on with us that is Deb Andraka who's running in the 23rd assembly district Deb thanks for joining us today thanks for having me here today really appreciate it first of all tell our listeners a little bit about why you're running Okay, and then also a little bit about your district and, you know, uh, you know, why you think you can win. Sure. Uh, well, I'm running in the 23rd Assembly District, and because of gerrymandering, I kind of have to explain where that is. Uh, it's Whitefish Bay, Fox Point, and Bayside in Milwaukee County, and then the eastern part of Fiendsville, starting at the lake, and then the western border gets kind of crazy gerrymandered as you go west. Um, so that part of Mequon, all of Fiendsville and all of Grafton. And I am running for a safer, smarter, healthier Wisconsin. Uh, what that means uh, to me and my campaign, uh, safer is better gun laws, smarter support for schools and teachers. I'm a substitute teacher in uh, the Whitefish Bay District. And healthier, which means something a lot different now than when we started this campaign back in November. We kind of put that in all capital letters these days. Uh, healthier is better access to high quality health care and more protection for Wisconsin's environment. Claire. Thank you, uh, Matt. I love that slogan, Deb. I think it is so smart and so catchy and so descriptive. Uh, it's just perfect. Now, um, as everyone who's listening knows, my whole jam is healthcare right now. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about what your priorities would be as a legislator around healthcare and maybe how you're seeing those needs be unmet in your community. Yeah, well, one thing that I like to talk about, something that the state should have done a long time ago, is to accept federal funding and to expand Medicaid in our state. I mean, has there ever been a time when our state needed more healthcare dollars? And if we accept this money that is there, that uh, other very, very red states have put to good use, uh, we can make our own tax dollars here in Wisconsin go so much further. Um, there's never been a, a better time to expand access to both healthcare and uh, to make sure that we're using our tax dollars in a smart way. Uh, that's the first thing that I would do, and uh, we should have done it a while ago. Uh, sticking on healthcare, Deb, obviously taking the money we've left on the table for Badger Care is a no-brainer. 
In fact, it's hard to imagine any reasonable person not supporting it because we <laughs> did something that no other state did. The other states that haven't expanded Medicaid didn't take any of the expansion. We took the expansion up to 100% of poverty and put it on our dime and then did not take up to 138% of poverty. I know this is the arcane system for ascertaining eligibility in the federal government. Uh, it's a federal poverty rate. Uh, because Walker wanted and Republicans wanted to say they were against the ACA. So we paid more, over a billion dollars so far, to cover less people. So this is absurd. And we would save hundreds of thousands of dollars in the next budget and moving forward if we did it. But my question is, because it's a gap in Wisconsin, not a complete turndown actually, it's, we're not exactly sure because the state's not really kept these numbers, around 70,000 people maybe. Now, healthcare is the top issue in the state, not only because of this, but because of a much larger number of people than that that are uninsured and would not be benefited by Medicaid expansion as, as structured in the ACA. Though you could go up to 200% of poverty, but I don't hear people talking about that under something called the Basic Health Plan, which is also part of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and so you could go much further and help a lot more people. But um, uh, the problem we have is insurance has become so expensive with co-pays, deductibles, surprise medical bills, you're ping back and forth between the insurance company and the hospital. I mean, everything you do, I just had a routine preventive procedure. Uh, if I wasn't a healthcare expert, I would have been charged uh, illegally for things. And we have people not using their insurance. We did a survey with a major national partner that half of Wisconsinites avoided needed medical care in the last year. Most of them had insurance because they were afraid of not being able to pay the huge charges, the co-pays, the deductibles. They're already paying their premiums or it's coming out of their salaries. My question is to you, what is your broader healthcare platform? Because we don't have one from the governor or from state Democrats right now. Uh, we have one from Joe Biden. Biden has a very aggressive healthcare plan. He met Bernie Sanders and progressives halfway. So uh, if you're really gonna help everyone in your district, uh, what do you want, how do you wanna go further? And what do you wanna do, frankly, if the federal government uh, right now, the Supreme Court, which Trump is trying to rig with the Supreme Court decision, right, it uh, takes away the ACA. Well, my, I'm running against Jim Ott. Uh, he's been in office for more than a decade. And uh, every single opportunity that he has, he has voted to uh, keep Wisconsin uh, in the lawsuit that would strike down the Affordable Care Act. And um, if that goes away, then you're exactly right. What are people with pre-existing conditions going to do? Because we haven't codified that into law here in Wisconsin. So we need to make sure that those protections are in place by passing a state law to make sure that if the ACA goes away, there are, there are protections here on the state level. There was a bill that the Republicans put through not that long ago that the title of it was protection for pre-existing conditions. And that's something that my opponent likes to talk about doing. Uh, that bill had a giant hole in it. Um, it, did, it does not provide the comprehensive coverage that I think that everyone in our district and our state deserves. So um, I and don't Deb, think- Deb, they didn't even put it on the governor's desk either, right? Right. But go ahead, sorry for interrupting. No, no. Um, so 
what boggles my mind, and we see this uh, with, uh, with the Republicans at the national level and at the state level, they do everything they can to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, and they have yet to put a comprehensive plan in place. So um, that's something that Democrats have been pushing for a long time. And um, if we're going to take something away from people, it just makes sense that you should tell them what you're going to do. And if what you're going to do uh, doesn't actually protect everyone, uh, then it's not an answer. Deb, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about what you're hearing from voters in terms of what you think is happening in your district. And we'll be joined by Sarah Rodriguez later in a number of areas throughout suburban Milwaukee that has really radically changed and put what were gerrymandered seats um, not only in play, um, I think you've got an amazing chance to win. Talk more about what you're hearing and what you think is happening and why there's so much opportunity for progressives in, in your area. Well, the 23rd district is pretty much a microcosm of what's happening in suburban districts all across the country, where people, my neighbors, um, you know, it's a 50-50 district. You know, we're about 50% registered Republicans, 50% registered Democrats, but we're moderate Republicans. I mean, my neighbors, they do not like Donald Trump. Um, you know, they are much more of, you know, your Reagan, Bush kind of conservatives, you know, they're friends of mine. We have we drink wine on weekends, and they're just really turned off with what they're hearing on the national level. Now our district is designed so it's almost half in Milwaukee County and then half in Ozaukee County. Uh, we hear an awful lot about the Wow counties. And in fact, just yesterday, there was a pretty big New York Times article talking about Ozaki County and a lot of the um, outlying suburbs, how and the focus of the article was that they are not, uh, they are not trending towards Democrats as much as in some other parts of the country. Um, quite frankly, that's not my experience. I talk to voters all the time um, on the phone. Uh, just, they say, I, I, every single day, I have voted Republican my entire life. I can't do it anymore. You know, they, they want to know that I'm okay to vote for. And we have talks about, you know, what I stand for. And, you know, when you sit down and talk to see some of these folks one-on-one, -on -one, um, they, they understand that, you know, no, I am not trying to take away your health care, despite the flyers that are being mailed to just about everybody in my district. Um, we can compromise on so many things and come to understanding. So uh, that has not been my experience with the people that I speak to, um, which is why we're very excited to win in the fall, because um, I, I honestly believe that people are tired of the gridlock. They're tired of the gerrymandering. They're tired of people changing the rules. My opponent, Jim Ott, authored the first bill that Governor Walker signed into law. Uh, that was a bill expanding his powers as governor. He also championed the bill that uh, took away powers from Governor Evers uh, because he was a Democrat. If that's not an example of just being partisan, I don't know what is. Well, we have got to go and we so much appreciate you joining us. But most importantly, we really appreciate that you're running for office and you're running to win. Uh, we appreciate all of that. Thanks so much, Deb, for, for, for running and joining us today. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. And with that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. 
We are continuing our conversations with state legislative candidates, uh, and we are joined by Sarah Rodriguez. Sarah is running again in suburban Milwaukee area in the 13th Assembly District. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really uh, thrilled to have you. And um, uh, like our previous uh, 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 interview, uh, Deb and Draka, you are in a district that, uh, quite frankly, was gerrymandered in a way to try to make it unwinnable for Democrats. But the district has changed so much. Not only is this now a swing, you got a great chance to win. Tell us about why. Tell us a little bit more about why you're running and, uh, you know, what you're hearing and why you think there's so much opportunity in this district. Well, you're right. This is a winnable district and the districts have been changing. Um, I'll be brutally honest and say that I was not planning on running in this race. Uh, when I saw that the Republican led legislature forced people between uh, choosing between their health and their right to vote in the spring election, that really forced me to do more, to do more for my community and throw my hat in the ring for this race. Just a little bit about me. I'm a registered nurse. Um, I've been a healthcare executive in many different arenas for, for years, and I'm a public health expert. So I was an epidemic intelligence service officer with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and did national and international outbreak investigations. Um, I have been so disappointed you know, with what the Republican-led legislature has did in the spring and then all the decisions that they've made to keep our communities safe during this pandemic, uh, it, it really does need um, a change in leadership. If you wanna talk just a little bit about the district, District 13 includes uh, Brookfield in Waukesha County, uh, Elm Grove, uh, Wauwatosa, West Dallas, and just a couple of wards in Milwaukee. And you're right, the district is changing. Um, the conversations that I have with my community, um, even if they are um, lean Republican, or lean conservative and, and have told me that they voted for Republicans in the past, um, they feel like the party has left them. They do not want to be associated with the party of Trump. Um, you know, they wanna make sure that their values are well represented. And right now those values much better match the Democratic party than the Republican party. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I was so excited about your campaign because uh, I love talking about healthcare and you are a healthcare expert. And so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, specifically, you know, what would you do to hit the ground running as it relates to the pandemic and um, in general healthcare reforms at the state level uh, once you're elected? So there are a lot of low-hanging fruit that we can really look at. I, I think uh, Deb, I, I was listening to the, the podcast earlier, and Deb had mentioned this as well, is the expansion of Medicaid. Uh, you know, Wisconsin is leaving um, so many dollars on the table, and we want to make sure that those dollars come back to our community. Um, as we move forward with this pandemic, you know, having those dollars back in the community can help us in a multitude of ways. It's going to make sure that individuals are covered for their health care and um, it's going to help us in terms of our budget as we move forward if we can get those federal dollars within Wisconsin and bring those home. 
Yeah, I think that we can all agree that Badger Care expansion is one of the first things that we should do. I'm curious what your thoughts are as someone who really understands the healthcare system. Um, what do you think that the state could be doing more broadly or maybe beyond Medicaid expansion to make healthcare more um, affordable or higher quality or easily accessible for um, folks around the state? Um, or maybe is there a healthcare need in your district that you, um, that you really want to be able to address in your first term? So I, I think within this district, um, coverage rates are high relative to um, um, you know, commercial insurance or, or Medicare. So people are, are generally covered. But what I hear is that um, those, those costs associated with some of that coverage, um, even for middle-class families or upper-class families are quite high. And so being able to look at some of these plans that really um, the cost out of pocket for individuals has gone up consistently over and over again. And um, people will avoid care if they you know, feel like they're not gonna be able to afford the type of um, services that they need. And this doesn't just affect um, you know, individuals who don't have health insurance or, or you know, they're not completely covered, even those who ha would be considered to be covered. So looking at those as we move forward, um, I know that you know, in terms of um, Medicaid reimbursement. Uh, this is an issue that is also a big concern within healthcare providers within the community. Um, we want more, we want better coverage for Medicare so that people can access the physicians and the services that they need. And um, being able to increase some of that reimbursement, I think is gonna be, is gonna be helpful as well. But we wanna make sure that people, um, we have equal access, equal opportunity, equal quality of the type of resources that, you know, that we need moving forward. And those are the types of things that, um, you know, that I would wanna make sure that we look at you know, consistently. As well, just being an expert in epidemics and pandemics, you know, this is something that we need a statewide response. You know, we don't have walls on our borders. People go back and forth between different communities. And when we have inconsistent responses or inconsistent enforcement of some of these responses within that community, um, we're going to continue to have hotspots, you know, um, going up in Wisconsin. We've seen that, you know, our cases are rising exponentially and we're going into fall and winter. And this is very concerning to me as a nurse, as somebody who um, still has many, many physician and nurse colleagues that are working on the front lines. Um, we need to protect the people in our communities. We need to protect those clinicians on those front lines. And we do that by getting this virus under control. And when we get this virus under control, you know, our business community will also, you know, be able to recover. Uh, I know that my purchasing behavior has changed um, since the pandemic started. I can't imagine I'm the only one. So, you know, if we get this virus under control, you know, we can do a better job in making sure that the, the business community, those small businesses recover as well. Robert. Yeah, sure. You couldn't be more right about uh, the pandemic response. In fact, Minnesota's put out an advisory uh, advising Minnesotans not to go to La Crosse County. Right. So we're, we're, we're doing worse than a country that's doing worse. It's not like things are going great in Minnesota either. But on child care, I appreciate very much what you said about people can't afford to use their insurance. I do think there needs to be structural intervention into that combination of better regulation and probably 
a much more comprehensive reform. I know President, uh, Vice President Biden wants to make the subsidies under the ACA much better, wants to off, um, offer a Medicare fully public, public option to everyone, including people who have employer-based coverage, including to employers, which would be a huge fight to get through. I know the state has less resources than the federal government, but I have not seen such plans or even proposals from state Democrats, either, either the governor or the, the two caucuses. And so I'm wondering with your expertise, if you really would dig in and try to think about this. And on the regulatory front, look, it's the wild, wild west. People don't know what they're gonna be charged. Any major thing you do, I see a colonoscopy, I only don't get charged illegally. They tried to do an illegal charge under the ACA because I'm a healthcare expert, but most people wouldn't know. In my case, it was free preventive care. I imagine it all coded that way. They tried to charge for the anesthesiology, which is specifically illegal under the ACA. And then they blamed freighters, the hospital. And then there was a back and forth between the insurance company, that's United Healthcare and freighters. And I'm, I'm privileged to be able to navigate that. You probably are too with your healthcare background, but average citizens just pay. And they don't kind of wrangle with insurance companies and, and hospital systems. So I, I don't disagree. You know, this is what I'm hearing from everybody. And I, um, you know, yes. And, and what's actually interesting is that, um, you know, as a scientist myself, I actually, when the ACA first passed, I actually wrote uh, a paper that's been published in the peer review literature that talks about exactly what you're talking about in terms of, you know, getting preventive care and how it's coded and how that would be compliant or not compliant with the ACA as it is today. Um, and so those are the types of concerns I've had for a very long time as we move forward in, in terms of being able to manage that, the health insurance. And even as an expert myself, you know, I took care of my father who had Alzheimer's and we ended up, you know, based on the amount of care that he received, having to apply for Medicaid to be able to get more additional care for him. Um, I can't tell you how difficult that was. I, it was probably one of the most stressful experiences in my life to try to be able to get him the care that he needed and to make sure that um, he was safe in the, you know, in a facility that could take care of his needs. And I know how I worked with health insurance companies. This is something that I have very strong expertise in. And uh, still it was, um, it was so difficult to be able to manage his care, get the care that he needed, and be able to get him covered under the resources that we all pay taxes for. You know, we all get this as our community. You know, I'm running against a um, Republican who's been in office for six years. He consistently votes every time to try to remove health care protections from our communities. Um, and so this is the type of thing that you want to make sure that you, when you're looking at your values and when you're looking at, um, you know, what values you have as an individual and what values you see for your community, which party lines up to your values. Neither party is going to line up exactly. I understand that. But you want to, you know, the democratic values are going to be able to get expanding healthcare protections, making sure that pre-existing conditions do not keep you from getting health care. These are the types of things that we're going to be pushing forward, especially as we move forward with additional Democrats in the assembly. Well, Sarah, you paint a very clear picture of uh, why it is important for folks to get out and support you. We really appreciate that you are running for office, that you took up leadership because you 
you've got great things to say and your voice is critically needed on healthcare and a number of other issues in the legislature. Thank you so much for running and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And folks, we'll have contact information, how you can get involved in her campaign, how you can donate, but we gotta run, we're late. Folks, we wanna thank our guests. We wanna thank Sarah. We wanna thank Deb Andraka. We wanna thank Mark Thompson. And we wanna thank our producer, Brian Woldrich, who pulls this Zoom show together every week. Again, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We'll see you next week.